Welcome and hello to all of my church family, my immediate family, and my friends. Thank you for joining us today for our Bible study and reflection on April 20th, 2022. As always, I invite you to share this with others because I truly believe whenever God's Word is sent out, it never returns empty. Now let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father and our Creator, we admit there's much we don't know about the mystery of faith, but we are thankful for your word that reveals answers to our questions. Lord, help us to remain anchored by your word and your love. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever said or heard someone else say, What were you expecting? If our subject is Jesus, this question has been asked many times over the last 2,000 years. It is still being asked today. For us modern-day believers, as well as non-believers, the answer is found in God's Word, God's living Word. Jesus, or the need for Jesus, can be found on every page of God's Word. If you really want to know Jesus and you want to drill down and just read one book, it has been suggested to me that it would be the book of Mark. Compared to the mighty Roman soldiers, some might say Jesus looked like a weakling and even acted like one. In biblical times, all of the mighty kings and warriors had shields and swords, bows and arrows that would shoot flames. And oh yeah, they rode in chariots. And what did Jesus have? He had and was the living word of God. That's what he had. He had God's word. He was God. He came to visit. As Timothy Keller often says, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord of all. C.S. Lewis popularized the argument that Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or the Lord, but he didn't invent it. In the mid-19th century, the Scottish Christian preacher John Duncan formulated what he called a trilemma. Christ either, one, deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or two, he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or three, he was divine. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say in a speech in 1942 that was later published and part of his book titled Mere Christianity. And I quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God, end quote. You know, we're not alone when we think power comes from a strong warrior-type individuals. That's what the ancient Israelites were looking for in their Savior. They wanted a mighty warrior that was riding on a big, mighty horse. What they got was humble Jesus riding on a young donkey. They wanted a king that was going to ascend and be seated on the throne in a palace. What they got was Jesus who was raised up all right, but he was raised up because he was nailed to a cross. His love for us, stronger than any military might that anyone could imagine. But yet, he claimed to be the Son of God. And how could that be? Because in the mere mortal's eyes, he did not fit the bill. After his arrest, he, it could be argued that he looked weak because he didn't do anything to save himself. He loves us so much, he was willing to appear weak and die for us, to save us from our sins, and through him, give us the gift of eternal life. We need to remember he defeated death, and you don't do that by being weak. It took strength to do his father's will. In an article published by Rick Warren, he had some commentary on how God can turn weakness into strength. In Hebrews 11, verse 32 through 34, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. I love that final phrase, whose weakness was turned to strength. That's what God does with us. He takes our weakness and turns it into a strength. The Bible describes Gideon as a mighty man of valor, yet he was a coward who hid in a wine press when the angel appeared to him. In Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. He was the youngest kid from the weakest family and in the weakest tribe, but God made him strong. And how about Peter? He was anything but stable. He was Mr. Impulsive throughout the Gospels, but Jesus told him, you are a rock. He turned Peter into a rock of stability for the early church. And now David, an adulterer and murderer, 
He was called a man after God's own heart in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And then to Abraham, he's called the father of faith. But he had so little faith that he twice told his wife to lie in order to save his own life. Hudson Taylor, a British missionary to China in the 19th century, once said, all God's giants have been weak people. You can see the truth of that statement throughout the Bible. You can see it in the lives of the great giants of church history. God loves to use weak people to fulfill his will. Listen to the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Do you have a weakness in your life you want to hide? I'm raising my hand. Yes. Try giving it to God to use for his greater purpose. God can and will Use anyone who doesn't hold anything back, even their greatest weakness. Now, in the following reading from the book of Mark, Jesus is even accused by his own family as well as the teachers of the law. They didn't know what to expect either. This is a reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister, and mother. You know, Jesus said it wasn't going to be easy following him, and what I just read certainly backs that up. 
It was tough. Even his own family did not know what to expect from Jesus. In my daily devotional book, there was an anonymous reading that I would like to share with you. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in the carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then, for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of men on this earth as much as that one solitary life. You know, it's still difficult to see weakness as something that can be useful. But with God, anything is possible. You know, you might say it sounds all well and good, but how about death? Isn't that the final blow? Well, it used to be. But thanks be to God through the death and resurrection, and not just any resurrection, but a bodily resurrection of Jesus, we have the assurance of eternal life. There was a 17th century poet and pastor named George Herbert who wrote a poem called Virtue, and in it there is a wonderful line, and I quote, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the promise of God, death is not the end, but a new beginning of life. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. And that comes from John chapter 14, verses 18 through 19. Listen to these words of Jesus. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, with our new resurrection mindset, I would like for all of us to not only expect the unexpected, but to inspect the unexpected. Who knows? We may just see Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, both by what we have done and what we have left undone. We are thankful that you are willing to use us even in our weakness. 
Help us to know that through the weakness of others, you share your love with us daily. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.